Hello and welcome to the Gospel Points Podcast, where the gospel is the point. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. Thanks once again for joining us again. As always, we've got a great show lined up for you. But before we get to that, it's time for the weekly Twitter poll question. This week's question on Twitter, again, follow me at Kevin J. Thompson. The question is, would you be comfortable with your pastor endorsing a political candidate, not from the pulpit, but publicly. So, are you comfortable with your pastor, outside of his role as pastor, publicly endorsing a political candidate? The options were, yes, no, heck no, or maybe. And the winner is... A tie between yes and heck no. Uh, which is interesting, because heck no is the emphatic of no, uh, which came in second place. Nobody said maybe. So, you guys out there, your minds are made up. It's either yes or no, or an emphatic no. Um, I'm going to have to go with yes. I, I am comfortable with the idea of my pastor, outside of his role as, uh, official role as pastor, publicly endorsing a candidate. Uh, you guys know me, I'm a political person, I think it's every person's right to be able to do that. However, a pastor ought to have uh, some wisdom and know when, uh, is, is this worth dividing a church over? Would this be dividing of a church? Uh, I think when you have a clear-cut moral choice to make, I would expect the pastor to step up. Um, however, again, he's got to show some wisdom and it's not you got to know your congregation to know if you if you're able to do that without causing dissension unnecessarily or or for something that wouldn't wouldn't be for a good purpose. Anyway, well, uh, this week our interview is with Pastor Matt Torella, uh, pastor up in the Milwaukee area, and he's going to be talking about his book, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate. The Doctrine of the Lesser Less, Excuse me, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate. It's, it's a very interesting book. We're, we're going to talk about kind of what our poll question was leading into, the idea of Christians in, in civil government. What role do we play? And Pastor Terrell is going to say we, we ought to play a role uh, when it comes to the, the enforcement of unjust laws. And uh, we've seen this a lot. We, we saw it there in Kentucky. Um, we saw it just recently in Alabama with uh, Judge Roy Moore. So anyway, we're going to get right to this interview here with Pastor Matt Torella. We're talking about the book, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate, and we'll have that available on our website. So uh, here's our interview with uh, Pastor Torella. Okay, I'm here on the phone with Pastor Matt Torella. Pastor Matt is the pastor of the Mercy Seat Christian Church out in Milwaukee, also the founder of the Missionaries to the Preborn Ministry, and author of the book we're going to be talking about today, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate. Pastor Torella, welcome to Gospel Points. Great to be here with you, Kevin. Well, I'm a Christian school teacher, and uh, one of the subjects I teach is American government. And every year I start off the class with the same lecture, starting off with the same exact words, I need you to know this. <laughs> we talk okay. about the Constitution, we talk about how government is supposed to work, and we explore what the Founding Fathers had in mind and I emphasize the idea that the greatest threat to liberty, it's not socialism or the secularists or the communists or the socialists or the Democratic Party, 
but ignorance. The greatest threat to liberty is ignorance. And that seems to be a major theme in your book, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate. So, Pastor Troll, could you kind of uh, just expound upon that? Sure, absolutely. Well, just to explain to your listeners what the doctrine is, it's very sure. simple. And that's that when the higher-ranking civil authority makes unjust or immoral law, policy, or court opinion, the lower or lesser-ranking civil authority has both the right and the duty not to obey the higher authority and, if necessary, mm. to actively resist them. And, um, you know, this doctrine is called a doctrine because it was established by Christian men in 1550 in Magdeburg, Germany. And there's a lot of great history on that and what took place. But the doctrine itself was practiced by men for thousands of years. It's seen within the Old Testament. It's also seen in pagan nations, showing that it's natural to man. But it was actually Christian men in 1550 that formalized it into a doctrine. So we call it the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, meaning that um, a magistrate is a public official, whether elected or appointed. So, um, a quote I always use is from Emperor Trajan to kind of sum up the doctrine in a nutshell. He was giving a sword to one of his subordinates one time, and he said, use this sword against my enemies if I give righteous commands. But if I give unrighteous commands, use it against me. Hmm. And that's what the doctrine is about. If the higher-ranking civil authority makes unjust or immoral law, policy, or court opinion, the lower magistrates aren't just supposed to go along with it. They actually have a duty to interpose against it in order to reign in the tyranny of the higher ranking civil authority. Yeah, and we're, we're, we're seeing that even unfold before our eyes now. When we see a, a government that is handing down unjust laws, uh, but before we get to modern interpretations of that, let's talk about what is an unjust law. How, how do we define that? Because you're certainly not advocating anarchy where we just get to decide what rules and what laws we're going to obey, what one we're going to fight about, which ones we're going to actually uh, uphold. How do we define an unjust law? Well, the way Western man has defined a clearly unjust law is any law that is made contrary to the law of God. Hmm. If man, the governments of men, make a law contrary to the law of God, um, as revealed in Scripture, then the um, um, people and the magistrates have a duty not to go along with that unjust law. I mean, whether you read Alfred the Great in the ninth century, you read John of Salisbury in the 12th century, you read William Blackstone in the 18th mm. century, the most cited legal scholar by America's founders. They all declared the law of God to be the higher law to which all men and all governments of men were accountable. So like, for instance, when you see, our government saying it's okay to murder helpless preborn babies, we know that's an unjust law and it right. should be opposed um, by the magistrates. They shouldn't just aid and abet the evil that SCOTUS decreed. And um, there's other, of course, uh, great unjust laws um, prevalent within our culture today. Yeah, and that's really important because there are some, I think, who are listening to this are thinking, well, can you really enforce? Uh, God's law, biblical doctrine upon a secular state, and the reality is that only works if you buy into a secularist worldview, because as Christians, we, we believe that truth, all truth is God's truth, 
There, there's mm-hmm. not a secular truth. There's not there's not some sort of neutral zone in between secularism and, and what is sacred. If God says it, that's a binding thing upon every person on the planet that God has created. Uh, so could you expand upon that? How how really this this has to make sense. This 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 doctrine you're talking about. Uh, we have to, living in a secularized society. This really becomes uh, something that Christians need to pick up and 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 use. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And this has been the standard for Christian men. Not mm-hmm. that everything was perfect down through the centuries, because right. anything man's involved in is not perfect. But at least there was this standard to which all were accountable, to which good men could call men to repentance and to repair the culture. And, um, you know, just for example, William Blackstone, he said, upon these two foundations, the law of nature and the law of revelation, talking about God's written law, depend all human laws. That is to say, no human law should be suffered to contradict these. And this was, he wasn't writing political theory here. He was writing political fact. He was simply echoing what Western man had been saying for over a thousand years in his writings. And he made it clear precisely what you were just talking about. He went on to say it, talking about the law of God, is binding over all the globe, in all countries, at all times. No human laws are of any validity if contrary to this. And such of them as are valid derive all their force and all their authority immediately or immediately from this original. The doctrines thus delivered we call the revealed or divine law, and they are found only in the Holy Scriptures." That's William Blackstone, the most cited legal scholar by America's founders. So this is an important distinction because if you just start with man, then who, which men are the right. foundation? And that's where we're at now. We've thrown off the objective standard, which was the law of God for over 1,500 years in Western civilization. And now that that standard has been removed, the state is free to make up law out of thin air, out of mere whim. And as you can see, that's exactly what they've been doing, and that's why the mores changed so swiftly over the last several decades is because we've thrown the law of God under the bus. Yeah, we've really given up the fight. We've already – we've given up the ground. Um, There's nothing nothing to fight over if we've already said uh, we're going to leave our faith behind as we enter into the public square. Uh, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, I had run for Congress, and one of the number one pieces of advice I had gotten was, you have to figure you you can't just quote Bible verses as you go out there and talk with people. You have to change your language into something uh, that's more palatable, such as the use of phrases like family values and uh, traditional uh, values and things like that. And I just be thinking, man, we've how far have we come? We're no wonder why we're so ineffective. Our our only effective weapon is the word of God. And mm-hmm. if we are already tossing that aside, the battle's lost. Uh how how did we get to this place? Well, the form of Christianity we have is a huge reason for that. And I've written extensively on what's known as pietism. I'm not talking about piety. Piety is something we should all have for the Lord. I'm talking about pietism. It was a movement that started in the late 17th century. It was kind of a reaction to what some saw as dead orthodoxy. You know, the 150 years after the Reformation, 
Um, of course, she had the Thirty Years' War ended 30 years before pietism came on the scene. And so what it was is that some men thought that Christianity was seen in the public realm, but they saw very little of it in the private realm. Mm. I got to tell you, Kevin, I've read a lot of writings from that era, and there was definitely a lot of Christianity going on in the hearts and private realm of men, Mm. not just in the public realm. But this was their perception. So they kind of went, you know, people go from one extreme to the other rather than striking a balance because, yes, Christianity affects both. It affects the private and the public. It affects the individual and it impacts nations. But they went to the other extreme and said, we want to create a Christianity that only impacts the private, the mere Mm. personal, has nothing really to do with the public in any way, shape, or form. And so that's what we have now with, um, with pietism. In fact, if people are interested in reading some articles I've written on that, which are very short, concise, and loaded with some good, interesting history, they can go to our church's website, uh, which is Mercy Seat, M-E-R-C-Y-S-E-A-T, mercyseat.net, and um, just click on articles, and there's three different articles on pietism there that kind of shows how we've come to this position we're at, where Christianity's like wants nothing to do with civil government matters. And if Christianity wants nothing to do with matters of civil government, which is one of the three great governments God has established, the three great governments he's established are family, government, church government, and civil government. They're all designed to produce within the individual self-government. Well, if Christianity wants nothing to do with civil government, then wicked men are going to fill the void, and they're going to impose their worldview upon the nation. And that's exactly what's happened here in our country. And, you know, the Christians even have come up with, you know, little slogans to kind of feel good about their lack of involvement mm. within civil government matters. One that I've heard over and over again, you talk about helping your pre-born neighbor or helping a good man get elected or, you know, defending marriage and or anything like that. The thing I always get from him is, you know, well, we should just preach the gospel. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about that is this. First off, Nobody just preaches the gospel. I mean, do you ever right. spend time with your children? Um, do you take your wife or do you ever use the bathroom? Okay, so first off, nobody uh, just preaches the gospel. Secondly, it's interesting to note when they bring up this idea that we should just preach the gospel. Like if you're at church and they bring up the latest potluck dinner, nobody ever jumps up and says, wait a minute, we should just <laughs> preach the gospel. Right. Or, you know, like when the latest, uh, when the, church softball teams being formed. No one says, oh, wait a second, we should just preach. It's only when you Hmm. talk about something regarding civil government, suddenly they bring up this slogan, we should just preach the gospel, because what's behind it all is to neutralize you as a Christian so that you're not involved in civil government affairs, and you actually feel unspiritual or bad if you do get involved Hmm. in these matters here and there. So I think that is a huge reason why we're in the condition we are now is because of the form of Christianity that is prevalent not only in America, but throughout the West. Well, some of the other slogans I hear as well, I think, are equally as deadly. The idea, well, what you're what you're suggesting is the wrong view of government. Now, you, you kind of get on, uh, R.C. Sproul Jr. calls it sphere sovereignty, the idea mm-hmm. of, of these, these uh, institutions that God has created, the church, the state, and the home. Well, mm-hmm. you're using the, the state to advance the kingdom, and, and that's just the the wrong sphere here. How do you respond to that? 
Well, God has established these three governments. They all have their function and purpose and limits that God has given to each. And so we should want to um, see God glorified in each of these three great governments. So when we see immoral or unjust law being propagated by the magistrates, where they're spitting in the face of Christ, where they're impugning God's law or word, that should bother us. Hmm. We should, well, that should bother us. And so we should take action as his ambassadors to declare the truth of God's word or law so that the magistrates and the people understand why that is bad, what is being done by the magistrates, or what hmm. laws are being proffered that are wrong. So it's hugely important, I believe, as Christians, um, to be involved in the matters of civil government. And um, quite frankly, I've been involved in ministering on behalf of the preborn for nearly 30 years now, and it's precisely because I know Christ that I care about my preborn neighbor and I take action on their behalf. And you, you use that phrase, preborn neighbor, uh, because first off, we are talking about human life, of course, and so we mm-hmm. are talking about literally my neighbor. Uh, we're also but you're referring to a command of God, uh, a command he put right underneath, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And and the second, it's like, and do it, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so how how do you, how, how does one rationalize my disobedience to that command? But, well, let me ask you, is it disobedience to that command to refrain from the public square or to get involved in civil government? Well, what happens is if we don't get involved in these matters of civil government, of public policy in our nation, then the wicked establish their world worldview through the force of law. Hmm. And we should have love for our neighbor. We should have love for our children, for our spouses, for, so that we don't want bad law to be established in the land. Right. And that when we see it taking place, It bothers us, and we have to speak out. I don't say it's necessarily sin. I just think it's wrong. (laughs) You know, it's ignorant not to want to be involved in these matters. In fact, when you look at America's founders, they made their um, priority list God, country, family. Okay? Well, when you look at it nowadays, country doesn't even come in most American men's, you know, priority list. But the reason... Our founding fathers, who were prevalently very Christian men, um, the reason they had it God, country, family, was because from their perspective, if the government was sound, then their families were safe. So they understood the importance of being involved in civil government matters and not just ignoring them under the guise of spirituality. Because when you do that, yeah, look around you in our day, Kevin. This is what you end up with when you ignore it when you act right. like we shouldn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, it, it bothers me that people, uh, they almost feel morally superior somehow for not getting involved, as if they're not going to dirty themselves in the world of politics, yet we have families who are suffering, yet we have unborn children being slaughtered and massacred, and somehow you're feeling good about yourself. Uh, it... it there ought to be some right. sort of repugnance about that. Absolutely, there should be repugnance <laughs> towards that. It, it should it should bother you. And really, you know, the pulpits in America are silent. God's word, first off, speaks to all matters of life. 
right. including matters of civil government. But yet the overwhelming majority of pulpits in this country never address anything regarding matters of civil government from the word of God. So people think well, God doesn't have anything to say about these matters. And that's one thing that's been good about this little book I've published um, on the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. I've heard from so many people, it's helped them bridge the gap to see that their Christianity actually does have something to do with matters of civil government. I've heard from ministers who've totally changed their perspective on everything and are actually preaching from the Word of God, showing these things that God does have to say about matters of civil government. So uh, it's been good to see um, people begin to understand that from reading this little book that I wrote on the subject. And again, we're talking about the book, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate, and you can you can learn more about that. You can log on to lessermagistrate.com. We'll have that link on our website and uh, in our blog. We'll also have a link just to the, uh, the Amazon uh, page where you can purchase that book for yourself, and I hope you will. It's, it's not a very long book. Um, it's very easy to read, but it, it is convicting. But it's grounded in Scripture. It's grounded in historical truth. It, it's something you're not going to want to miss out on. Now, uh, Pastor Torella, we're, we're coming to the end of our first segment here, and is as the tradition at our podcast is we, we end each segment with more of a random question that has nothing to do with what we've been talking about whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. So are you ready okay. for a, a quick random question? Sure. All right, so you're stranded on a desert island. You're allowed to you're allowed three books, three works of fiction that you're going to have for the rest of your life is going to be the only three books that you're going to be able to read. What three books are you going to bring with you? These are works of fiction? Works of fiction. Oh, I quit reading fiction about 20 years ago, realizing I didn't have that much time left on the planet. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I only read nonfiction now. Uh, so you really caught me off guard here. I, I think one would have to be for sure Pilgrim's Progress. Hmm. Um by John Bunyan. And by the way, his life is worth reading about also. Just an incredible um, brother in the Lord. Mm. Um, other works of fiction. Oh, my. <laughs> yep. I have no idea, Kevin. I, I haven't read fiction for forever. Um, oh, I'll tell you another one. Uh, Celestial Railroad by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Mm. And it's very short. It's only like 22, 24 pages long. Um, what it, he does is he plays off Pilgrim's Progress and um, kind of gives a different perspective on um, the state of the church, the state of Christianity in his day back in the mid-1800s. Um, I think it's an incredible work, and it's very insightful and so apropos for the condition of Christianity in our day. So at least I got two of them in for you. All right, you got two. Okay. <laughs> We're actually in agreement here because I, I, I rarely ever read fiction. Uh, I think the last fiction book I read was The Da Vinci Code, and that was just because people were asking me about it, so I decided to pick it up. Uh, but sure. I just, I don't know, I, I'm just not a fiction guy. I, I, I am not a uh, a lover of reading, I'm a lover of learning. And so I look at mm -hmm. books as my, my avenue to learn. And so um, I read, like you're saying, I, I read nonfiction mostly, but... All right, well, um, again, Pastor Troll, thank you for joining us this week, and we're going to have you back next week. That'll wrap us up for this week. Thank you again for joining us. Hope you'll join us back next week for the exciting conclusion, the part two to our interview with Pastor Trello. We're going to talk about Romans 13 and how that all fits into this. And uh, we're going to travel to a little town in Germany 
couple hundred years ago and see what a, a few men thought of this doctrine there as well. Don't forget to check out the blog, www.kevinjthompsoninfo.info, uh, and we'll have links on there to uh, where you can purchase this book on Amazon. Also, you can just go on to Brother Matt's website at uh, www.lessermagistrate.com. That's www.lessermagistrate.com. Don't forget to check us out on iTunes. Give us a good rating. Share this podcast with your friends. Put it on Facebook. Tweet it on Twitter. Pin it on Pinterest. Snap it on Snapchat. Do whatever you got to do to get the word out. Well, thank you again, and have a great rest of your week.